to the Better Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Better Golf. I'm your host, Tee Off Sports, and I'm happy to be joined by my partner, Sticks Picks, who's finally done celebrating his Billy Horschel win at the Memorial. Once again, I would like to give at the model maniac a massive shout out for filling into Nick's big shoes and running through the tournament with me last week in Canada, but it's good to have you back, man. How are you doing? I'm good. The Billy Ho Bender is officially over. I'm ready for the U.S. Open. I I still don't know how I feel about Billy winning because I, you know, do not like watching him play golf, but I love the the value that my model showed that he had and it worked out. So it was really good to have a, a huge week for me. Um, and I, I a very light card last week at the RBC, so I'm ready to fire away a little bit at the U.S. Open here. Yeah, I don't want to spend too much time recapping the picks from last week's episode because I want to make sure we give the U.S. Open all the time it deserves. But is there anything you wish to discuss regarding Rory's victory? Anything happening in the world of golf for your week in general? No, I, I think like... Obviously, I was out for the podcast. I was traveling for work as well. I wasn't just a Billy Horschel bender, but um, it was a very light card for me. I looked at the card for quite a while and just didn't find a lot of value. And I think that the way the tournament showed up or, or you know, finished out, I think that proved true. Like it was all loaded with top tier studs. I, I very rarely find a way to beat the market in terms of top tier studs. Like I'm not going to bet Roy to win a tournament at plus 850 or whatever he was like great good for him and i'm not gonna bet a top five at like plus 200 or whatever it was just really not my thing so for me it it was just good discipline i guess especially coming off a huge week at the memorial just to kind of sit back and the majority of my card was all top 40s i believe i only had three outright tickets of kirk munoz and always matt fitzpatrick can't seem to way to close it out but like Kirk and Seabass had a really good tournament as well. So it's good that my model is still in really good form right now. Obviously they didn't win, but that was more of a price grab for me betting those two guys. But um, overall I'm excited for the U S open. I really like where my numbers are at right now. And it seems like everything's kind of clicking on I'm all cylinders here for both of us. So I'm excited for a big tournament and a big major. Yeah. I'm going to keep my answer condensed into the week that was on the PGA tour. I ended up winning plus 0.16 units at the RBC Canadian open Nick and I were joking off air that a small win is better than a loss, but I also love where my pre-tournament head-to-head plays are trending right now. It's funny because I gave four on the solo show I did over at Action Network and only used one in my tracking for Twitter in this program, but the action plays went three and one. I mentioned Aaron Ryan here over Hank Lebiota before watching Matt number balloon from minus 112 to minus 164 before tee off. Thankfully, there was an opening on FanDuel Thursday night after the first round to get back on that play at minus 132 for anyone who might have missed the opening call. But it was definitely a mixed bag sort of week for me. Top 40s on Rye plus 130, Smalley plus 175, and Patrick Rogers plus 175 helped mitigate some of the bad breaks in other areas. But the in-tournament head-to-heads lost for the second straight week. That's not something that we have been accustomed to. Finau could have given us a big tournament if he could have made some putts down the stretch, but no real complaints. I know we have combined for a profitable showing in every event over the past month, and that's all you can really ask for on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, let's get after the U.S. Open. All right, man. So the Country Club in Brookline, 7,264 yards, par 70, POA plus bent grass screens, the last five winners of the tournament are John Rahm in 2021 at six under, Bryson DeChambeau during his six-shot victory in 2020 at six under, Gary Woodland took down Pebble Beach in 2019 at 13 under. That was probably the one outlier course from the group since there's only so much you can do with a short course. The conditions were U.S. Open penal, but there ended up being more scoring chances for the field than a typical week. And then Brooks Kepka won in back-to-back years at one over and 16 under. Kepka's dismantling of Aaron Hills probably came because of an overcorrection by the USGA where they cut some of the rough last minute and provided what I believe to be an easier test. We know by now US Opens are typically about carnage coming into play. I think we're going to have that this week, but uh, I will get into my thoughts here in a second for how Brookline will be similar or different to past iterations of this contest. But like always, I'll start with you, Nick. What did you notice about the property? 
Yeah, obviously it's a U.S. Open. The rough's going to be insanely long, it sounds like, and there's fescue outside the rough. So if you don't miss fairways, I think you're going to have a very hard time making pars. And so, you know, guys that make pars on par fours, I think there's a ton of par fours on this course, only two par fives. Long iron play, accuracy off the tee is probably the most important thing for me and very quality around the green. I I don't know if I weighted bunker play enough as I should have, but it kind of all, you know, bakes into approach around the green. All that stroke scene data kind of goes into the uh, the bunker play as well a little bit. But yeah, long iron play, elite accuracy off the tee, everything like that is what I'm looking for. Just guys that hit the fairway are not going to get in trouble and make a double, um, stuff like that. Because bogeys are probably fine. I know bogey avoidance is something that I did value pretty highly this week, but the whole field's going to make bogeys sometimes. No one's going to hit. 18 out of 18 fairways are, you know, all the par fours. So minus the the par or par fours and par threes, par fours and par fives. Damn it. Billy Hillbender's kicking in right now. <laughs> Not in mid-season form, but yeah, just fairway finders, ball strikers, and guys that can get it up and down around the green because these greens are tiny. So I don't usually care about putting on small greens. But again, if it's a head-to-head decision where it's like, all right, I'm either playing Will Zalatoris or Someone in that price range, like Xander Shoffley, it'll probably be, you know, who has a better flat stick because that's just what it's going to be if I'm going head-to-head decision like that. But I'll probably play both this week. I mean, who are we kidding here? I think you would We're have playing Xander, Xander, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I teed that one up for myself. But like Hideki or... I like Hideki a ton. All the I like Hideki. Time, but like so. Hideki or Wills out towards if it came down to, all right, what are we doing with everybody's game kind of checks out the same. Hideki's probably a little more accurate off the tee. So I'm going to lean Hideki there anyway, but if it did have a, like a lineup decision where I have $9,400 left, I'm probably just going to go down to Hideki and save some money on the table. That's fair. Um, one of the things I noticed when handicapping this venue is how so many of the holes set up in a similar fashion. Most of the green slope from back to front. There are a ton of false fronts where that becomes even further emphasized. There are numerous blind tee shots. You have a few massive trees that can block the green if approaching from the wrong angle. And you, of course, have the U.S. Open conditions of gnarly rough and deep bunkers looming everywhere when the ball isn't hit straight or on target. For that reason, no matter how different you want to try to get with your model, there's always going to be some semblance of the same statistics coming into play. It isn't a shock at this point that players who tend to hit the ball the longest and the straightest for the week have more often than not been the ones to walk out of the U.S. Open with the title. But it doesn't mean we can't still try to get unique with our process. I started with weighted tee to green for 22.5%. I usually don't build this statistic in such a rudimentary fashion since I like recalculating these totals to 100% mimic the course on hand. But with the outside the box narratives I did try to take in other areas, I decided to play things safe for a venue we have no long-term data on for the week. I still ran my numbers to include a two-year baseline in the projection output, but 50% went towards approach. That's just a straight approach. 25% off the tee. And then the final 25% around the green I figured that provided me with my best chance to pinpoint golfers with extended levels of consistency, not to mention that I then mix in just the last 24 rounds separately to see any risers in the field. I did 10% on strokes gain total at difficult courses. Consider this a by the book category that goes hand in hand with us open tests. Players that can handle challenging conditions will be at an advantage and the 10% weight should help highlight those names. I did weighted strokes gain on POA slash bent for 10%. of that calculation came from a tee to green aspect on uh, POA and bet courses over the past 50 rounds, where the final 15% marginally added in putting on those same green complexes. As everyone knows by now, I am not a person who looks much into putting, but infusing the splits into the data is a way to make the research unique. I will agree with Nick on this, that I don't think I put enough onto sand save percentage myself. And you could probably make an argument that I also don't have enough on bogey avoidance because I took 17.5% between weighted around the green, sand safe percentage, and then bogey avoidance. You know, I'm looking for players that will be able to limit mistakes. I separated the three categories individually before combining them into one sortable answer. I have 12.5% on weighted total driving. That's already been explained enough by Nick and I talking about you just cannot miss fairways here. Uh, Greens and regulation mixed with long iron play 17.5%. 13 holes require a long iron for the first or second shot. And we know the thick, rough, and deep bunkers are not to be messed with because of the difficulty they possess. And then I finished with proximity from 175 plus yards, plus total driving for 10%. Uh, You did hear that correctly. This is a double down of the two most critical factors this week, but this time combined together to get a ranking there. So top five of that model produced Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, Xander Shoffley, Tony Finau, and Will Zalatoris. 
When running it for upside, we got a slight change of Scheffler jumping into the top five. Nick, I still need to go back and add Chan Kim to my model, which helps to explain his absence here. But give me the top of the board for you. <laughs> it is Rory, Scotty Scheffler. And I love that because I, I feel like Scotty's a, a really good semi-leverage play this week at, yeah. at the ownership kind of creeping down each uh, each day. I refresh Justin Thomas, Will Z, and our boy, Xander Shoffley, number five. Yeah, I, I like Xander this week. I mean, we can talk about him more, I'm sure. Like these shows have turned into the Xander hour any single time he's in the I, field. I'm, I'm fine with that. Well, I guess let's move into the DFS portion and I'll give you a, an opportunity to talk about him. So uh, did you have any massive differences compared to consensus rakes? You can feel free to stretch that answer as far out as you want. The one thing I will say up front is that I only had two players that graded inside the top 50 and either the overall or upside portion of my sheet from the $6,000 range. To me, that means pricing might not be as soft as you normally expect if the 6K flyers aren't as prevalent. And that's going to probably likely require us to make more concrete decisions at the top. But uh, what did you notice, Nick? So overall, I mean, let's talk about the elephant in the room. It's going to be Sanjay M. Chalk Week. And looking at your model, he is great on pretty much every aspect of the game. I guess the only weak side when I'm looking at yours and everybody that probably listens has a a view of your model, the long iron play is not elite. It's solid. And he does have an afternoon tea time of Thursday, which I believe is 15 to 20 mile an hour wins. That is as of Tuesday afternoon, that could certainly change. So I don't think that that's too crazy. It's not going to be like the PGA championship where there were gusts of 35, 40 mile an hour wins in the afternoon on the first round, but Sanjay's just mispriced. So I don't know if I like, and I love him too. I always bet Sanjay. He's great at this type of course. He's a very good fairway finder. Great around the green. Um, I believe he's a quality bunker player as well. Is he not? Yeah, he's very good at bunkers. Okay, so that's right. So my data is matching up with yours. So I I don't know what to do with Sanjay. I think that's the hardest decision I've had in quite some time because he is going to be 25% owned. And if you're playing single entry, he's probably going to be 45 to 50% owned, especially in higher stakes stuff. Like sharper players are going to just lock him in because he's literally just mispriced probably by... I don't know. I, I don't see why he wouldn't be priced up by with Billy Horschel around the 8,500, 8,600 range. So that's something to think about. And I'll wait for your, your thoughts on that. But one thing that I've noticed is I could build a very quality lineup and leave over $1,200, maybe $1,400 on the table. And usually when I do my MME, I set that total to maybe like 600. It depends on the event too. Like it all depends on what type of builds I'm getting. But I can literally take out the whole 6K range, most of the low sevens, build a lineup and still leave. I think my favorite lineup right now that I have in terms of the players and the prospective ownerships that's with them, it's leaving $1,200 on the table. So I literally think for my MMEs, I'm going to set it to leave $1,500 on the table um, maximum. So obviously not every lineup is going to leave that much money on the table. That'd be crazy. But I think just a great way to get different. There's multiple millionaire makers this week. There's going to be a ton of people in the field that do not play DFS golf regularly. So whether or not, you know, I like to think we have an edge, those that play and those that listen to shows all the time and do their own homework. Of course, you know, none of us are, are God and can predict the future or anything like that. But um, that's probably my long-winded answer for where am I at this week? I think I'm going to get different by probably setting my lineup max um price to be right around like 49.8 so every lineup will have a minimum of 200 left on the board and a maximum of right around 1500 and i've never got over a thousand i don't think i've ever left 800 on the table but when i've built so many different variations with or without sunjay because obviously he's a crazy value at 60 or 7600 lock him in in cash games but and that's like not using mito either you could literally build I just, I you know, I get it, but you guys probably get it by now. But like Aaron Wise, obviously he's very high in your model, but you could just build a very quality lineup with tons of winning upside. You could put Patrick Cantlay in there. You could pair him with Hideki, like guys that are priced, you know, upper or 30 to one or higher that really any other tournament, they're going to be 18 to 25 to one range. So like, I, I think there's a ton of value there as long as they fit your guys model. And obviously you think they're a good course fit, but Long story long, I'm going to save or lave a lot of money in the table this week. And I think that's my way to get different because I don't know if I can fade Sanjay M 25% ownership. I want to, but I don't know. That's uh, that's up to you. What are your thoughts? 
Well, I think that your explanation there is the best way to do it in general, whether you play Sung Jae or not. I think leaving money on the table in this tournament makes a lot of sense. Like you have Tony Finau's Sam Burns, uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick's. Uh, you mentioned some of the $9,000 guys. You have the wises of the world in the $7,000 range. There's enough value to be found in this tournament that you don't need to necessarily go to the very top of builds with it. And, uh, you know, at a minimum, I would say Sung JM is a thousand dollars underpriced. Yep. If you told me he was $9,100, I wouldn't have necessarily batted an eye on that either. So uh, it's just going to come down to how you can separate builds. And as Nick said, one of the ways you can do that is just leave extra money on the table there. So I, uh, you know, nobody's ever necessarily a fade on the surface because you can always find a way to get unique, but uh, just be cognizant of the owner that ownership that you are putting into lineups. Because if you do start going that route of like the Mitos and the Sung Jays and all those players in MME type contests, you're going to find yourself probably not going to be able to win the millionaire maker, unfortunately with that. So I and, just la- and last year, sorry to cut you off last year, the number one and number two finisher in the millionaire maker did not have John Rom who won the event. So I don't think you have, like, if Rory is a stone cold lock or, you know, Scotty Scheffler's your guy, I mean, Scotty's going to be probably a leverage play. I bet you he doesn't go much higher than 10%, but you, like, it's about having quality golfers that make the cut. And, like, to me, like, those lineups that do have 1,200 left on the table, every one of them grades out as a top 20 value for me. And that's what I want. Like, guys that finish top 20, if you get six guys finish top 20, obviously you want a runner, get up there second, third. If you could win, great. But there's just, I think the whole 6K range for me, other than the second most mispriced golfer of Chan Kim at six flat, will be out of my player pool. I like Kurt Kitayama. That's maybe like the yeah, one. Yeah, I, I looked at Kurt. I just like, I don't know. He doesn't hit enough fairways for me. And I think like that's just the hill I'm going to die on. If you're, if I'm starting, if you're not an elite, elite ball striker like Will Zalatoris, he doesn't hit a ton of fairways. But if he does, like, I, that was going to be my question to you. If Will Zalatoris has a above average to mid upper tier off the tee accuracy week, he should win the event, right? Like it, it should finally happen. I know he's always there in mass in in majors, but my model absolutely loves Zalatoris, even with his erratic off the tee play. I know he gains strokes off the tee because he absolutely mashes the ball, but I don't know if that's going to be a thing here with this rough. You have to hit fairways. Yeah, so from a weighted tee to green perspective, he ranks second overall in this tournament behind yep. only Rory McIlroy for me. That's insane. Uh, the, yeah, I mean, like pretty much everything that you want, like he's going to have to make putts also, but it's not as crucial. Like the one thing I want everybody to think of is any single time scores go down, and this is what helps guys like Hideki Matsuyama. <clears throat> sorry, it's why we've seen uh, players like, I don't know, a Keegan Bradley win a major before. Any single time scoring goes down, Putting becomes less crucial. You need to make less putts to win. So, you know, if Zalatoris can be break even with the flat stick and he can hit fairways, I don't really see a reason why he can't win this tournament. Now, from an outright betting perspective, I can't get myself to get there at 25, 28 to one. Like, it's almost the Xander thing. Like, I know Xander's won tournaments, so this isn't necessarily a apples for apples type of comparison here, but I almost just want to make these guys beat me when they do. And Xander or Zalatoris might beat me this week. And I'm kind of okay with that. And maybe I can jump onto them in an outright perspective after Thursday night, if you know, there's a number that presents itself, but I do think we have a board right now where a lot of the high end choices are very similar to one another. And I don't think you necessarily have the best prices on any of them to try to jump into the fray. And I mean, that's including players like Tony Finau, where you and I were talking Nick last night. Like I wish Tony Finau was 50 to one. I would love to take a chance on him on that number, but I'm not so sure I can get myself to do it at 35 to one when, you know, there is win equity or there are win equity problems with him on a given week and now let alone on a major. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. So you want to play the, uh, the good chalk, bad chalk game real quick? Sure. I feel like that's, uh, th- This week it's going to be super relevant. Whether or not we're right or not is going to be another thing, but let's start 10K and above. I mean, what do you do with Rory? He's probably going to be the second highest owned player in the field. So for me, if I'm looking and like, this will be a little bit more of an answer than a good shock, bad shock answer, but there's three players or there's two players specifically in the $10,000 range where there is an edge in my model. When I run it for their price against 
or the, my rank against DraftKings and my rank against ownership. And that would be Justin Thomas and Rory yeah. McIlroy. The one player that doesn't fit that is Scotty Scheffler, just because he's a number one price call from the field. If he's not number one in my model, he's going to be pushed outside of that. I think he's a very interesting leverage selection. If you are trying to pivot away from a Rory or somebody like that, I, I think it's a very close to a 50, 50 choice between them. I do happen to like Rory this week. Um, I don't know if Rory's necessarily going to win. We've talked about this numerous times when he gets courses that are less than 10 under par. And that's to remains to be seen at this point, what it's going to be. But you know, if this tournament plays at seven under par for the winning score, I don't think he necessarily wins. I think Scheffler can win on a lot of different game types with it, but uh, I, I like Rory. I'm going to say he's good chalk because I can't really find a reason not to play him. All right. That's fair. That's pretty much the only guy that's going to be above 15% in that range. I love Justin Thomas too. Scotty Scheffler. I'm like, I feel like I could play all these guys and I don't know if I'm going to fade Cameron Smith or not, but Kyle Morikawa is one of my favorite leverage plays in that price. I know the, the putting's really not there, but Kyle Morikawa fits out to be a perfect fit for me. He's going to be sub 10% owned. My mouth seems to think he's got a ton of upside and I believe he is on the right side of the alleged weather edge here. Yeah, he is a morning guy Thursday. So I don't know. I feel like he can go out, shoot a three, four or five under, and just light up the ball striking. I think that's a really good start for Kyle Morikawa, who's going to be super low owned at 10K flat. If you're trying to find a pivot in the $10,000 range, I so much prefer doing it with Morikawa and Scheffler than I do Cameron Smith. Uh, I have worries about Smith's game for this particular venue. I'm not so sure I can get myself there. For sure. All right, you're next. All right, let's let's drop down into the $9,000 range then. And I mean, I think I know your answer that you're going to give me. Actually, I'm, let's not, I'm let's playing not, Xander. I'm playing Xander. No, I, I was actually going to say Zalatoris, but um, let's skip him because I think we both like Zalatoris this week. Um, am I correct on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, the biggest question and an obvious answer to me is I don't think I'm going to play much Shane Lowry, who's probably going to be a, top, a top five owned guy right around probably close to 20%. I want Hideki sub 10. I want all the Hideki I can get. Patrick Cantlay, I absolutely love. I think Cantlay is a top five player in this field, and he's priced at 9,200. Like Dustin Johnson's more expensive than him. Jordan Spieth is more expensive than him and higher owned. Sanders Shoffley, I will never bad talk, but like I don't think he has any business being higher priced significantly than Patrick Cantlay. Victor Hovland. So I think Cantlay and Hideki are probably two of my favorite plays on the board. And my main lineup right now is starting with those two. And it did auto plug Sanjay M early, but I don't know what I'm doing there. We'll get to him. Well, we don't really need to talk about him too much. But yeah, Cantlay and Hideki are my guys there. I think Shane Lowry is probably going to go, even though he's a great course fit. But like, what what's the upside? I just, I don't know. I'm not a Shane Lowry guy. He's playing great, but like one, I guess, RBC Heritage tied third top 10 at Canadian open, but that field was literally just top heavy all around. We talked about that in the beginning. So I don't know. I'm ranting. I just, I'm not feeling Lowry at that ownership when Hideki's way less and possesses a lot more upside in my opinion. Yeah. I prefer Zalatoris and Hideki in the nine K range. I, I think Zalatoris has been an enigma for me in the past since I always wait for the short game to bite him when push comes to shove, but the ball striking tends to place him near the first page of the leaderboard. Uh, Hideki, on the other hand, shouldn't have his improper marking on the club that disqualified him at the Memorial takeaway from what he's accomplished this past season. I believe he's won two of his last 10 completed tournaments. He has five consecutive top 26 finishes at the U.S. Open. Uh, That only heightens the intrigue for me for a golfer that's going to be around sub 10%. And then just to touch on Patrick Cantlay, he is GPP only. I do think there's volatility there, but there is also win equity that's going to come into play for him. And, you know, for eight, nine percent, I don't know what you're seeing, Nick. I, I do think he's an interesting, I guess, if you want to call it like a leverage option away from a Shane Lowry with it, because I agree. I don't know what Shane Lowry's upside actually is. My model likes him, but I also perform on an open championship test than a U.S. Open. Yeah, obviously, that's where he won, too. But no, I I. I... <sighs> Cantley's just again, it's a sub 10% guy with win equity that my model seems to like a ton. So Be- before you jump into the $8,000 range, um, I know we have differing thoughts on Dustin Johnson. Not that I'm so bullish on him, but 
Uh, do you want to give me the negative of why you don't like Dustin at sub 5%? Uh, it's not very accurate off the tee. I, and personally, like, I, I don't know, there's no science or data behind this one. And usually I like to to lean on math when given the opportunity, but Dustin, he just doesn't strike me as a guy that cares about winning. I think he's like, golf's just his job. That's what he does to get paid. Obviously he got paid a ton of money to go to the live tour, but when everybody's, likely going to boo all these live players I, I i wonder if the actual general public that's going to be at the golf tournament even knows that taylor gooch is part of the live tournament too because <laughs> i feel not. like he, yeah i feel like he's just like no one's talking about taylor gooch is he giving an interview it's all dustin it's all phil bryson whatever so i i'd kind of like taylor gooch to be like the uh the sneak under the radar guy who's does not have any ownership right now but for dustin he like i guess i don't know i don't even know if there's upside at two percent ownership which is projected to have i'd say it's probably going to be more around four or five because again in the beginning of the show there's people that don't play dfs that are just going to hop in the field but, oh dustin he's really cheap i like him go play it whatever but once like outside the players once the last time we really saw dustin johnson threaten much so I, I don't know i don't think the booze will matter to him at all because i just don't think he cares about anything like he's got you know paulina gretzky as his wife so that's pretty cool but <laughs> or soon-to-be wife i don't know their whole situation i think they're married i don't know irrelevant if anybody knows let me know but um i don't know it just doesn't seem like a guy that like hates to lose more than he likes to win so i feel like dustin just like when i'm playing the 9k range all these guys i want win equity and dustin johnson just doesn't check that box for me anymore yeah dustin just got married a couple weeks ago i believe oh, so. mazel tov yeah I don't know. Like the only difference I will say with Dustin, and I agree with you, we haven't seen him actually threaten other than one tournament in the last little bit. But I mean, these U.S. Open tests have always historically been where he finds his most upside. It's where he won his first major. He's second in this field on courses with hard hit fairways and thick rough. He's third in my weighted total driving. He is number one over his past 24 rounds when you take total driving plus proximity from only 175 yards plus I do believe you're going to run into tons of volatility with him like if he misses the cut that's not going to shock me but for a golfer that's two three percent owned like if we're comparing him directly to I think I'm in you already talked me into it damn it I just think it's a leverage play. Like it's what it comes down to is we don't necessarily need the victory from him. If he backdoors a top 10 finish, that's perfectly acceptable at 2% ownership. And it's so easy to fit him into builds. I'd rather have him than Jordan Spieth. That's the person I was going to say. Like, I think I would rather have Dustin and Jordan Spieth ownership uh, being included into the mix. Yeah, I'm with it. I don't like him, but I do get the, I get the play. Um, AK range. I think I'm probably out on Neiman. Um, but my favorite play on the board in every single market that I can get my hands on is Daniel Berger, sub 10%, 8,400. Perfect course fit for me. Um, I, I like the recent form. I know he was kind of battling some injuries earlier in the winter, but I'm in on Daniel Berger, a guy that does have win equity, certainly, and should light up this course, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I love this $8,000 range in general. You can kind of live in this territory if you wanted to. What are your thoughts on Billy Horschel at 5% ownership? That's because like this course, it, I kind of like my model kind of kicked it out to be very similar to the Memorial. And obviously he won there, but I thought he'd be a lot higher owned than this, but I also thought he'd be priced like right around eight flat, you know, like the max home range. I don't think he has warranted a $500 price increase than a guy like Max Homa, who's also having a very, very good season, but I think Billy kind of overperformed at the Memorial. Like, how could he play any better? And so, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to go back to the well. But in terms of, like, anybody, Fitzpatrick against Burns, Berger, like, it's going to – the answer is going to be Berger for me every single time. And maybe an honorable mention to Finau, who's going to be popular. But um, I'm out on Brooks. I'm not sure on Cameron Young. I think I'm probably out. I've seemed to always be out on him. But, yeah, I, I do like damn near every player on this – or like I can never quit Fitzpatrick, but his ownership's pretty crazy. But I think he's a walking top 20 no matter what he does. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess I'll condense my answer because I, I said I love this range in general. I And I do. The three players that I will probably not find myself on, uh, I don't 
love Cameron Young this week. I just at 13% ownership, like if I'm, and I made this example in my DraftKings article over at Rotoballer, like if you compare Joaquin Neiman versus Cameron Young at 16% versus 13%, we saw the bad of what happens to Cameron Young at the Memorial when everything goes wrong. And I don't want to just make it be that one round of the reason why I'm saying it, but you know, he shot an 84. Like these are US Open conditions. We saw it at the Masters. He was very popular. He missed the cut. He was very popular again at the PGA Championship. He paid off everybody handsomely that way. I just think it's running back to the well one too many times. There's markets you can play Cameron Young on. I, I do think he has some upside to him to where he can find success. But from a safety standpoint, I worry about him. Uh, Brooks Kepka, I know he's 5%. Like that's one of those spots where give me Dustin at sub 5%. I think that he makes a lot more sense than Brooks at sub 5% even more expensive. And then my model did not like Billy Horschel at the Memorial. You were spot on there and you saw something that I clearly didn't see. Uh, my model doesn't like Billy Horschel here either. So maybe I'm just wrong with the way I'm running my numbers, but uh, those are the three players to me that I am the most bearish on. All right. Seven K chalk. And then we'll get back to our roots of actually betting on golf. Um, Sanjay M. I just want your thoughts on each guy, Sunjay M, Mito Pereira, and then Keegan Bradley. Good chalk, bad chalk, all three. So I will say that Keegan, I mean, it's Keegan Bradley. It's like anytime Keegan Bradley's over 10%, it just never ends well. I know recently like that has kind of gone away, but what is Keegan's upside in reality? Yeah, I don't know. He won the U.S. Open years ago, didn't he? In 2011 <laughs> or 20 12. years ago. I don't know. Actually, uh, I think Webb Simpson won in, uh, or no, Keegan Bradley won the PGA championship. I think in, uh, one of those years, maybe 2011. Yeah. Cause, uh, Webb, your boy was 2012, but yeah. So I don't know. Keegan, I feel like he's safe, but at half the ownership, I feel like I don't want to roll the dice on Taylor Gooch more. I like Taylor Gooch, like other than the live thing, which maybe you made a good point there that it just doesn't matter. Nobody knows that he's, I don't even... think anybody knows Taylor Gooch besides like diehards, but like, you know, people just walking the course drinking 12 beers a day out there. I don't think they even know Taylor Gooch is one, a great player when he was on tour recently or on the live tour now. So I don't know that that's just like my, if I were to pull 10 of my friends that casually watch golf, I don't think any of them would know that maybe one or two would know that Taylor Gooch is on the live tour now. Yeah. And and then as far as I guess with Mito, like I would just rather play Aaron wise. If it comes down to it, Aaron wise is going to be my favorite play on the board. Mito's 10th in my model. He looks really great from the last 24 rounds, no matter how I run it. But you know, you have to at least take into account, and I'm not saying this is a reason to not play him or a reason to play him if you view it the opposite way, but the last time we saw him in a major, we all know how it ended. So there is added pressure to him. And then as far as Sungjae goes, you can figure out a way to get unique. I, like, I'm not going to say Sungjae's bad chalk. I, I don't necessarily believe that he's my favorite play because of the ownership, but, you know, there's there's a lot of ways to fit Sungjae into a lineup and be perfectly fine. Yeah, I'm with it. All right, let's get into the top placement market. Uh, before we get there, do you want to? Um, do you have any head-to-head plays um, that you like this week? No, actually, yeah, you can kick us off there. No, I haven't really got much besides the wise ticket that you talked me into. So that's my favorite one. I, I have not as much of an edge as you do, but I like Aaron Wise in that spot a lot. So I was trying to find head-to-head matchups on Terrell Hatton and Bryson DeChambeau at the legal books. Uh, there just weren't a ton of offerings there for reasonable prices. Like I, I legitimately believe, and this isn't some outlandish comment that I think I'm going to say right now. I think a lot of people probably believe this. What is Bryson going to shoot if they turn on him? He might shoot a hundred. Yeah, that's uh, like Bryson. I feel like is a guy that the booze are going to like the way he just talks and presents himself. Like he, I feel like he's desperate for people to like him. Like he just seems, I don't know. He's certainly a nerd. He's a genius. So shout out to him. He's much smarter than I'll ever be, but I don't know. Like when I watch his YouTube videos and stuff like that, he just seems like a weird guy that now I'm going to come out and say, um, my friends and I have an inside, like not an inside joke. We have a theory. We think Bryson DeChambeau is probably a virgin and I think he carries himself (laughs) that way. So a little humor on the show, but I don't know. He's just, strikes me as a guy like i would never want to sit down and have a beer with but certainly i'd want to get in a driver's session with him so he could fix me out on the uh the one wood in the bag that i just cannot hit very well right now i'm hitting a little bitch fade but 
you know, I don't know. But other than that, like Bryson just leaves much to be desired. And I think the booze will probably get to him because he kind of seems like a guy that's like, everybody needs to like me. I'm Bryson Shambo. And I just, I don't know. I don't like it. That doesn't make much sense to most people, but that's, that's my theory. Um, maybe that's the Billy Hobender talking, but I don't know. I don't like Bryson. If, if you sat down and had a beer with him, I mean, he could tell you. I feel like he wouldn't even. Yeah, he's like, you know, that shortened your life by 13 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Bryson. That makes me feel better. What about the next nine that I'm going to have? <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, unless I guess if you want negative news, you bring yeah. him along. Who invited this guy? <laughs> he's the Debbie Downer of the group. In the uh, time that you drank those 10 beers, you could have done 120 crunches and <laughs> speed swung your driver to get more club speed. But uh, I'm ranting now. Go ahead. Take it away. I'm muting. Right. So I will give three head to heads that I am considering this weekend. One will be on the first round, which I do want to get your opinion of because you have given me positive takes on both of those players. I actually would like to get your opinion on all of these plays, but uh, the first is a full tournament matchup, which is Luke list minus one ten over KH Lee. There are tournaments where the value is percolating through the page, but I thought books did a relatively solid job of either masking prices in their favor or skewing matchups ever so slightly to take away some of the value on the options that I would have wanted exposure to. We see that with matchups like, and this is at particular books. This is not at every book. Uh, Wise versus Varner. Connors jumped into the elite options and is equally priced with more Kawa and the Hovlands of the world. But I did have 15 points of value on list over Lee. I'd be cautious on where this number goes because I normally don't mention wagers with that small of an edge. But Lee is a pretty substantial fade for me at the US Open. He's the third worst value on the board of golfers that are $7,000 or higher on DraftKings inside the betting market. Only Billy Horschel and Abraham Answer are worse there. And we get this terrible <laughs> split from him where he ranks 107th in his career at difficult courses and 90th in weighted total driving. If he's struggling to hit fairways because of the distance on some of these holes, he's already playing behind the eight ball. Then we add into the equation his 83rd place rank in weighted proximity. This is just a bad setup for him. Um, do you have any thoughts on there before I move on? Yeah, I uh, I definitely don't like the recent form of KH Lee. He's struggling off the tee the past two events, and I love Luke List game right now. I don't know if I love this venue for him. But I don't know if, if I, I do either. If I had to side on that, it would certainly be the Luke List side, and I own one because he did finish top 40 in the Memorial at plus 175 to add to that great week. So, yeah, I, I like List there. I just don't know if I'm – like I, I get what you're doing to go at KH Lee, but I don't know if, if Luke List is the guy – I mean, he couldn't have played any better at the Memorial. And like I said, my model thinks this kind of matches up well with the Memorial, but I don't know. I well, I, li- I like Luke Lister. I would lean that direction, but I think to myself, I, I probably wouldn't get there personally to the window. Well, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I always try to at least mention people that I'm looking to fade. Because I agree with you. Like Luke List isn't a perfect target since he's 0-2 and made cuts at US Open venue since 2018. I do think the metrics look really good from an upside perspective, but there is miscut versus miscut potential here. And when you play that game, you're always playing like the dangerous game at that point. Yeah, if he hits the fairways or if his short game's good, he's he's gonna have a good a good finish here. It's a good venue for him if he can hit the fairway. But his around the green game, it has looked much better this year in comparison to years past. Well, shop around to see if you can find a different opponent. I do like taking on KH Lee. Uh, I bet Aaron Wise minus 105 over Davis Riley. That number open at plus 105 and has already moved 10 points. I had this closer to minus 125, leaving us 20 points of value. The current form on Riley looks great with his five consecutive top 13 finishes, but there will always be issues with plays like this since the recent results are being overly baked into the price. You know, I want to preface this by saying it doesn't mean Riley can't continue this trend since he has provided these results at both difficult and easy courses. But the one thing I want everybody to take away from this is sports betting is always about finding the overcorrections to the market. And I think that we're having that here where Riley's current form has, I don't want to say incorrectly influenced the price. I do think it's too much, but we're not necessarily seeing the same thing with Wise, who's playing just as good of golf as Riley right now. So uh, that is my favorite play on the board. Do you have any takes on that, Nick? No, I, uh, I'm i 100% fading Davis Riley. Again, haven't played him once this year, and it's kind of killed me a little bit till he kind of fell yeah. apart a little bit at the Memorial. But yeah, I uh, I love Aaron Wise. I mean, as good a form as Davis Riley is in, Aaron Wise is in damn good form too. So I, I like that ticket a lot. Yeah, I the, like the, it at minus 105 a lot more than what it is now, certainly. So Did I it move again? You. Um, I don't have it in front of me at the moment. 
but I oh. wouldn't be surprised. I feel like everybody is starting to talk about Aaron Wise now. Probably so. Um, the, the market, at least, is certainly respecting Aaron Wise a lot more than it did Monday. Well, it, it very well could have moved. We might be running into this Aaron Ride uh, conversation of last week where it's just a market that was almost impossible to catch up to throughout the week. But I believe when we started recording, it was still available at minus 105 on DraftKings. Maybe that's not the case anymore, but uh, definitely double check that because it's going to be a moving market. Like if it hasn't moved yet, it's going to move soon. I will find it shortly here for us. Well, I will give our last play as you're doing that. And that will be a first round matchup on Hideki Matsuyama minus 115 over Billy Horschel. I did consider Connors plus 100 over Horschel as well for a full tournament perspective. You kind of talked me out of that one. Um, one of the things is I worry that Horschel comes in 51st place and Connors misses the cut. But for me, I, I do think Hideki is going to be the better play for a couple reasons. And there's not a huge edge here. Like normally when I give these round one matchups, there's a much larger or much more significant advantage that I can find. But there are just a handful of players and Horschel fits it to a T at this point where the current form is so baked into these numbers. And you said it yourself, Nick, if we're looking at DraftKings, like he should have been a high $9,000 golfer mid seven or 9,000. This is the, I've talked too much about Billy Horschel with you. I know you love the guy. So all of a sudden I just want to keep giving him extra dollars, but he should have been a high $7,000 golfer. Um, you could argue that he should have been like a $7,500 golfer in reality with it. And I think no matter what market you're looking at, he's not necessarily in the same range as Hideki. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And uh, Aaron Wise is now minus 110. So it's minus 110 aside there in that one. I think it's going to keep moving. I still like it at minus 110, but I mean, you're going to eventually reach a point. Like I would be fine playing it up until I mean, if you, if you want to play like every edge that you can find game with it, I'm fine playing it up to about minus 124. But I, I mean, I think if I'm actually trying to provide value for people out there, I would say once it moves past minus 115, like I don't necessarily feel comfortable talking about a play that has less than 10 points of value. I would agree. Yep. All right, I guess let's move into the placement market then. I think I am ready to bat leadoff once again after hitting two plus 175 plays last week. So there you go. I will start with Harold Varner to the third, top 40 plus 115 FanDuel. That is minus 135 DraftKings. If we just use a statistical fit for Brookline, there might not be a better value on the board than Harold Varner. Yes, there are going to be red flags that come into play because of the volatility and random implosions that take place. But the American places 21st overall in my model over the past two years. And we see him jump to an impressive 13th when running this for upside over the last 24 rounds. He's trending in the right direction by grading seventh in my reweighted T to green category over a smaller sample size, which is 21 spots higher than his two-year projection. Do you have any takes on Varner in that price? Yeah, I mean, I like him, but he's kind of just like a fade mindset for me right now because his ownership in DFS. But I, I do like that price in the top 40 market. What are you seeing for an ownership on him? Today I saw 12. Let me see what it is at the moment. Come on now. I have Yeah, 10. Yeah, I I have not updated it since yesterday. I see seven and a half percent, but like if I'm being honest on this, so Aaron Wise is my favorite play on the board. Varner doesn't hit enough fairways for me. I think that's what it is. And when my metrics to the accuracy off the I know he's great in total driving, but the accuracy actually does not look as good as I'd like it to. Yeah, that's fair. Um, You know, one of the ways I ran it is I looked for, so I substituted driving accuracy with off the tee numbers at hard courses that had hard to hit fairways and thick rough. So those are three things that it took into account. So players that were missing fairways essentially were being negatively affected more so than an average course. Uh, He jumps up to 45. First overall for me from 70th overall. So there is an improvement if I'm looking there. I mean, that's one of the things that really saved him for me Uh, from a weighted total driving aspect that places him 35th. Um, Obviously like the long iron play and a lot of things like that come into play that I like, but I like Varner a lot. Like it's hard for me not to want to play him. Like the ownership would really have to get out of control because it's the same exact thing that I keep mentioning with a lot of these guys. If Varner had any semblance of win equity, like if Varner wins, you know, the tournament instead of Sam Burns a couple weeks ago. Like, Werner could very well be in the $8,000 range, but just, like, that lack of win equity really resonates with people. 
Yeah, well, he just won a big event in the DP World Tour this year, didn't he? He did, but you know how I feel about these European tours. Like he still, I, I mean, he won a big event, so like he he does have some win equity, in my opinion. It's sure. I, like he hasn't done it on the PGA Tour. I think Dustin was in that tournament. I mean, I think Fleetwood was there. There were guys that were quality players. He didn't beat the bottom end of the live tour to get there. Although I assume a lot of those live guys were in that field also, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I do think that there's a lack of perceived win equity where I think it's gotten overblown at this point. I would agree. All right, Nick, uh, what do you have for us first? All right. Favorite play again, talking about him. Uh, Daniel Berger, <clears throat> top 40 minus 115 on FanDuel. My miles price is minus 175. Lights out off the tee, um, deadly accurate there. Excellent short game. Bunker play is one of the best in the field, and I love the long iron ball striking. Overall, this is a price grab. This is everything. I, I just love Daniel Berger. I think he's very undervalued in the market this week in all formats. Um, Circa, I believe, does have a respectable price on his outright. What is it? 62 to 1. I think that's probably the best price out there. That's where I want to go. I punched a ticket at 50 to one and I do not have access to Circa. So maybe I'll have you go run um, some of the Billy Hill money over to Circa and get 62 to one for me. But yeah, Daniel Berger minus 115 top 40. I feel almost as good as the Scotty price that we got at the waste management on Berger. So I, I'm going to ride it. He's the hammer kid play of the week. Yeah. We, we talked a little bit about Berger versus wise and, and I'd like to get more into that discussion when I do get into Aaron wise a little bit deeper in a second, but before we get to that part of the discussion, uh, I'm going to mention a golfer that I also know that you are on that. I will let you elaborate a little bit further. And that is Brian Harmon. Now this is another situation where numbers are moving and I just want to put it out there because we are going to see fluctuation in these markets. I don't think it's inconceivable that he couldn't go back up, but uh, Nick and I originally recommended, I know this is your second hammer kid play of the week. Uh, do you have a name for that, by the way? No, usually it's like the, uh, the hail Mary when it's over plus one fit. Actually, I think the rule last year was it had to be higher than two to one. So it doesn't really qualify as that, but yeah, Brian Harmon was plus plus one sixty five on FanDuel, So that was like, uh, the chisel, we'll call it the chisel, just like a little, you know, nothing too crazy. Don't, you know, spend all your money like you should on Daniel Berger on that ticket. But, you know, just a, a nice, you know, if you got Father's Day coming up or anything, you know, you double your money on the Brian Harmon at plus 165 or don't, you know, obviously it's not double, but you get it. I'm ranting again. Not not my best show. <laughs> like the, the problem is with this number moving is I think you would agree with this, Nick. This was more of a number grab than anything 100%. Else. Yep, 100%. So on the positive end of the spectrum, Harmon has provided four top 38 finishes at the U.S. Open during his last four attempts, and a lot of those showings have come at venues where his lack of distance likely should have been a larger deterrent than he's going to experience this week. He ranks inside the top 40 of my model in short game, reweighted proximity, and driving accuracy. He's also played challenging courses very well in his career. I think that's you know one of the reasons why we've seen him do so well at the U.S. Open. He ranks 31st overall there, but uh, I mean... I know we've talked about it a little bit. I don't think you've given it on this show. Where did you have the proper price on Harmon? I had him at uh, plus 130 in my rule is usually I want minimum 25 points of value, but I really try to get at least 30. So that plus 145 price that is now on FanDuel would no longer be a play for me. I would not force Brian Harmon at plus 145 of only 15 points of value. I ran it for safety. Um, I could get him into the plus 140 range um otherwise i mean he's more in that plus 145 range so it's kind of just right in that dead zone right now where there's not a ton of value although you know i think he's a wow his ownership went crazy i completely take that back um what are you seeing right now for him brian Harmon, just under 10 9 percent i i had him yesterday at one point at like four or five percent so he's doubled in the last 24 hours i like yeah, I don't know. I'm probably out then. I wouldn't say that's low tier chalk, um, but because I don't know who else. I mean, he's certainly the highest per owned guy in that price range by like, give me Siwoo over him if I had to make the choice. Siwoo at 5% or Harmon at closer to 10. Because like if, if Harmon's going up from yesterday to today, it's probably only going to go up. Yeah, I, I guess if you made me give a decision, give me Patrick Rogers. Patrick Rogers. Yeah. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. All well, right, Patrick Nick. Rogers at zero percent ownership is a lot more appealing than Mister uh, Harmon at 
let's just say he closes at 10. Yeah. So I'd be out there, but I already have my exposure at the plus 165. I'm good on calling it a week for Brian Harmon. Just see what happens there. Yeah. I was very lucky to lock that in also, but uh, what do you have next? Uh, it's going to be Siwoo Kim every single week, it seems like. Um, but FanDuel plus 150 is the top 40 price on Siwoo Kim. My price is 120, so that hits my threshold of 30 points of value. Again, this is a fanboy play. I absolutely love him, but my model loves Siwoo Kim anytime that I heavily weight accuracy off the tee and strong around the green play. I've said it a couple times this week. The only thing I don't like, I do have a Siwoo outright at 150. I don't really like that ticket anymore. I mean, it barely cost me anything to hit the number that I needed for my you know, expected value there. But with only two par fives, that's really where Siwoo does a lot of his damage. So I think like warrant your expectations for Siwoo Kim. I certainly think like he's got miscut equity here, but he is a guy that is deadly accurate off the tee. So if he's good off the tee, I think he should be fine. His irons are kind of hit or miss some days. Um, how's his long iron play on your model? Mine graded him out average so again that's kind of where i don't love him as much but plus 150 there was still value for me just to take my boy so yeah not not great with the long iron play so he is 29th from 175 to 200 he's 81st from 200 plus when i weighted those together he's 61st overall i i like see kim I, I think it's a fine number that you got in the one wager that i wasn't planning on giving on this show that i will actually mention is there, and I don't know if it's still available. This was on DraftKings. There was a Siwoo Kim to be the top South Korean golfer at plus 330. Uh, that's going to be a four-man contest between Sung J.M., Hung Kim, and K.H. Lee. My model believes Hung Kim and K.H. Lee are more likely than not going to miss the cut. Those are two players outside the top 75 for me. There's no arguing that Sung J should be the favorite at minus 110, but I'm kind of viewing this as a situation where I'm getting an inflated price on him, and Maybe that's a better way to try to take on, uh, you know, KH Lee than the Luke listing. If somebody out there didn't like that. Yes. He was still plus three thirty in that market. Yes. Yeah. I do like that. I, I, I think plus 200 is the accurate number there. It's, it's going to need some luck to get across the finish line. Don't go making a massive wager on it, but you know, 130 points of value is 130 points of value at the end of the day. hundred percent. All right, so I will give Aaron Wise top 40 plus 100. Uh, I will be completely frank here. I didn't envision myself going into the week and punching a plus 100 ticket on Wise or playing him in literally every single market that I could find this week. You know, the long-term totals usually mean more to me since it's allowing under-the-radar value to be found when the current form isn't being completely baked into the price. But he's also a player for me that the current form's even better then the and that's no matter how I run it, he's going to be pretty much a top 15, 16 golfer for me. He ranks first in this entire field when we combine total driving and long iron play. And the current form is starting to pop like we saw during portions of the 2021 season. Uh, I mentioned this a second ago. We talked off the air about you preferring burger for 15 cents more. But any takeaways for the plus 100 price when we remove the other wagers from the equation? I know it's not the sexiest number of the old, of all time, but are you opposed to the price? No, not at all. I think that like that's kind of the theme of my whole card DFS betting, everything. Like it doesn't need to be that sexy. It needs to be kind of safe. Like I want guys that are going to make the cut. I want guys that have top 20, top 15 equity. Aaron Wise, I think, certainly has that. He showed it at the memorial. He was incredible i mean his iron play was absolutely nuts he was putting out a ball striking clinic so i i do like that and then one more i want your opinion on taylor gooch at the same price of even money top 40 i believe he's um finished inside the top 36 of his last seven events outside the live golf tour he's kind of grades out pretty similar to aaron wise in my model very you know great iron play great bogey avoidance i believe he's top 10 in bogey avoidance and he's great around the green so like everything that you like Aaron Wise for I feel like Taylor Gooch is kind of the he's the forgotten child of everything in golf I like <laughs> Taylor Gooch at even money um, I think I would lean Taylor Gooch even money over Aaron Wise but I mean Aaron Wise is in such great form I like that too I didn't get the Wise ticket yet but I have that matchup and that kind of checked my Aaron Wise box because I'll probably be overweight in DFS on them you asked me a question on the Action Network show of Taylor Gooch versus Sebastian Munoz, and I gave Munoz as the answer. I think you have convinced me to change my opinion there, and I do like both of the players. 
the reason why I'm changing it, I, I do think you are right. I, I don't know if people are going to realize, and even if they do realize that he's defected away from the PGA Tour, that's not the player that they're going to go to to boot. Like, there's so much likely, much more likely to go to Dustin Johnson or Bryson DeChambeau or, I mean, even Kevin Naw brings in some hate sometimes. Patrick Reed. I, I think Gooch could very well, I mean, unless he gets himself so far into contention that this turns into a circus on Saturday or Sunday, but uh, if I just want can, a top, top 30 yeah. finish out of them. That'll pay value for me in DFS and cash my top 40 ticket. That's all I need from Taylor Gooch. I don't need anything crazy. If you could promise me he was going to come in 29th and really never compete. I am starting to come around that that's probably very good value. On I mean, the he's that you great, got. great in the stand as bogey, like everything about him screams. So I, I don't think he's played a U.S. open in years. And when he, what was the last time he played 2018, 2017, he came in 66 with that's, that's so far away. Like he's not the same player anymore. Yeah. And he's having the best year of golf in his life. I'm going to buy the forgotten child of Taylor Gooch. He's number one in my model in strokes gained around the green over a two year perspective. That is shocking to me. He's also number two over his last 24 rounds. So the short game should be able to handle itself. You would think play him. All right. I am going to give two more long shot wagers. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Patrick Rogers at plus 220. And then Kurt Kitayama plus 350 on FanDuel. Those are both to come top 40. These are going to be small bets, but Kim Kitayama is the biggest outlier I have in price in the betting market. My math had him closer to plus 200 than plus 350. And then Rogers is someone I seem to like every week because of his combination of putting and distance. I do believe that plays well at a U.S. Open test. And the form is trending in the right direction with five made cuts over his last six tournaments. Uh, that will do it for me, though, in the placement market. It's hard to go much deeper than top 40s on most of these wagers when we are dealing with the majority of books not paying ties in full. That's something that Nick and I always stress. We want to make sure, you know, like if you have ties paid in full, you can play things out more into the top five, top 10 market. But uh, I am sure you would agree with me, Nick. Those are not winnable bets long term without that. Yeah, I agree. All right, man, let's finish this off. Then uh, you have hit two winners in a row on this program. Let's try to make it a three peat. Start us off in the outright market. Dana Berger, 50 to one, even though I don't love the price because I see Circa's got the 62. So if you get bored and want to head to the strip, let me know or to old Vegas, I should say where Circa is. If you've never been there, check it out. Um, and then I already mentioned Siwoo Kim at 150 to one. Bet MGM laying a thousand to one on Chan Kim had to take that in principle but um the other two plays for me are Kyle Morikawa 30 to 1 Patrick Cantlay at 24 to 1 the Morikawa price is on DraftKings Cantlay is on FanDuel and Siwoo Kim is on DraftKings at 151 but I already kind of talked about my displeasure for that ticket but other than that I think my outright card is is very limited I believe I only have one unit in risk in that market I'm gonna wait to to do some stuff live I think I think that's the best way to play it. And just before I give mine, the disrespect from BetMGM, don't they know that you're going to be unloading onto Chan Kim? <laughs> oh, it sucks. Is I, I went to put, I was going to put a hundred bucks on him. Probably should just donate to charity. Like we talk about when you, uh, not the bet. same thing. This is yeah, not, not the same thing. It's not bet. the same thing. And they denied it. So I went to like 80 bucks, denied it. 50 bucks, denied it. Uh, I think I went 40 bucks tonight and then did 35. And then at this point, it's like, all right, what the hell kind of game are we playing here? So I just went dollar per dollar. They did not take $31. They took $30. So if Chan Kim wins, it's I wanted it to be a $100 ticket. So I don't like that's my issue with some of these legal sports books. What the hell? Like, am I really presenting that big of a threat if I'm betting 100? Uh, maybe they have a an outright ticket maximum, which, again, I don't under. That's probably what their house rules is. I'm not going to read them. Um, but like if I had a dispute, I'd read them, but obviously they denied it. So I get it, but I just don't understand the legal bookmaking. Like, why would you, it's probably a three hundred dollars. So like it's, you know, 95% sure. I mean, I'm, you know, but it's a, I like this course for Chan, if he can get his, his wedges and his short game going a little bit, but yeah, it was just funny that they wouldn't take $31, but they took 30. So bet MGM. Cool. Good work. I've mentioned this before. I don't know if I've mentioned it directly on this show, but uh, I had to close my Treasure Island account because it had reached like a point of absurdity on it. They weren't taking anything more than a $5 wager, no matter what I wanted to place. And it's like, I don't know what you want me to do with this. Like, I can't actually place bets at this point. Yeah, I don't. They're just 
show you the door at that point. But I mean, so BetMGM, if you're listening, I could have gave you, you know, you and your CEO and somebody else like a, a drink at a happy hour just by keeping that $70 threshold in, in there. But I don't know, whatever. They're running scared. I tried. I tried. Yeah. So they respect Chan or they have a house rule of a maximum outright that you could win. But either way, I think that's a sham. But Chan came 1001 bet MGM. So I have mentioned this during all three majors so far, but I bet Patrick Cantlay at the end of 2021 for the four majors at prices between 28 to 33 to one. At the time, I did expect those to fall to the 12 or 14 to one range. But I mean, if you want to call it somewhat questionable form, this year has kept totals more or less intact. I know Nick is a little more bullish than I am about his chances, but there is a lot to like about Cantley's performances on similar greens in the past. Yep. He ranks seventh in this field when diving into hard hit fairways and thick rough. He's also an impressive seventh in scrambling and first in the aforementioned POA plus bent splits over the last 50 rounds. I do have 30 to one as the proper price, which is what I got on him. But I think the true number is better than that since it is still baking in some of the downside, something that we do not care about on an outright wager. Like a miscut is going to be as good as a second place finish. So give me upside in these plays. And he does have upside trajectory in my model. I took two chances on Harold Varner and Aaron Wise at 100 to one. It's hard to imagine either winning a major at this point of their careers, but this field isn't all that much different than recent contests that we have seen them at less than 50 to one. I have Varner's true price at about 65 to one. Wise is even better than that at 50 to one. It will take something magical, but Mito Pereira was one good tee shot at the PGA Championship away from winning. I don't think he is that much different of a player than these two. And the same thing can be said about Gary Woodland a few years back at this event. If he didn't win that major, the storyline is completely different for him. I tend to believe Wise and Varner are similar golfers to where he was during that 2019 run. It always seems far-fetched until it happens. And, you know, if Wise or Varner wins this tournament, I am going to be the last person that's shocked from that tap when that happens or if that happens. I bet Max Home at 66 to 1 on points bet on Monday before that number took a nosedive. It's been a very weird outright board so far this week. We always see tons of ups and downs in pricing, but Everything just seems to be falling at this moment. There will be a correction at some point where the prices start drifting back up as books compete for the final dollars. But the market is definitely in a dead zone at this moment. My advice to everybody is wait. Whether that's wait till maybe the tournament starts if you don't find it, like Nick said, save some bullets. You're going to have opportunities to jump into the fray. And that's kind of what I'm doing right now. There are going to be more ads between now and Saturday. I don't really know where they're going to come. I like Sam Burns. I don't want to necessarily bet him at sub 30 to one. I would have loved to have found 50 to one on Finau. Maybe I can get that in a in tournament perspective. Uh, it's not a shock to anybody. I've said this a million times. I would consider Xander at 30 to one, but I'm just going to let the board fall the way it is and try to get my exposure that way. Yep. That's kind of how I am. I just found value on Colin and, oh, actually Hideki Matsuyama, 41 to one on FanDuel was one of my favorite tickets. So yeah, if I had to pick anybody to win, it will be Hideki for me this week. Um, but that's exactly what I kind of did with Morikawa and Cantlay. They were like the only ones outside of Hideki that I had decent value on. The Hideki I have significant value on close to the Billy Horschel number that I talked about um, at the Memorial, but yeah, so um, actually Circa's got Chan Kim at 1500 to one. So if you want to go there and I'll just Venmo you some money for uh, Daniel Berger and Chan Kim, cause Circa will take action. I, I want to know they how won't. much, but let's see what happens. Circa and Westgate in Las Vegas are the two premier books. And, you know, I think casinos and whether that's on the legal front of like DraftKings and FanDuel or even Vegas casinos, I, I think books could learn a lot from those too. Yeah, well, their hold percentage is so much less right now than yes. the legal market in Illinois because all these numbers are significantly different. You may have convinced me to bet Hideki Matsuyama. Um, I really like that stance that you're taking with him. Well, especially too, when I was comparing all the books, like I always look at Circa just as a as a baseline and Hideki's price is right there with FanDuel. And I know FanDuel has a much higher hold percentage this week yeah. than they do. So like, I, I have a decent, um, perceived value, I should say, on Hideki Matsuyama there. Yeah, I I have a pretty decent value myself at forty to one. Um, and you said that's forty one to one. Forty one on Fanduel, yes, as of right I mean, now. An extra, every extra point counts, I guess. All right, la that. last ticket. Sorry to cut you off again. Chan Kim three ball round one plus one eighty <laughs> against Joseph Bramlett and. Sim Schneider guy from Germany. I like, you know, I'm German. So, but 
Uh, Schneider going down, Chan Kim is, I mean, Chan Kim, is anybody hotter than Chan Kim? What he shot in his qualifying rounds was absurd. He actually made putts. So just roll that form into here. Can you believe that we've actually reached a stage? No disrespect to Chan Kim, but we've actually reached a stage at this point where Chan Kim is qualifying for majors, no matter how he's doing it. And Jason Day is not getting into these tournaments. Yeah, that's kind of messed up. Yeah. Chan is the next wave, man. This is a really good venue for him. Um, you know, I don't know if you want to stick your neck out on the line, and we've had enough of Chan Kim conversation. Well, his, I guess, his but, top forty was plus yeah, eight fifty, so that's what I, I did take that thing. Yeah, absolutely. I well, think uh, that would be the hell Mary play of the week, I guess, because that's that's just too much. I, I mean, we saw it at the Moon Memorial; he got close, and then he imploded on sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. It was such a debacle. He was going low to start the round too, but. He's obviously the most volatile player that I ever bet. And I understand that, but I, I wonder what my, I gotta, I know I have this function in my sheet. I gotta be close to even now. I probably gave all the, the PGA championship 2021 Chan Kim money back. It, it was just a top 40 ticket, but it, I think he was plus 850 then too. So I don't know. I gotta see what my uh, lifetime value is on Chan Kim. Cause I, it's the well's gotta be trying up here soon. <laughs> I do like that 850 number. That's probably the best way to play it if you're going to do it. Now, I have not put him in my model yet, so I feel uncomfortable. I, maybe that's just because I don't want to come on this show and make you lose your house for some reason where I tell you Chan Kim is some great value like I did a couple of weeks ago, and that didn't necessarily come to fruition, which is unfair to say. He looked fine until he didn't look fine. Exactly. I think that's going to be the story on him every time. He looks fine until he's, until he's not because... Certainly cannot putt and is around the green game is struggling right now. The around the green would w worry me a little bit. I think the putting will be mitigated a little bit at a venue like this with the small this greens. This is our week. This is our week, Chan. But all right, Nick, uh, do you have any last bits of information that you want to discuss before we let everyone get out of here? Nothing. I'm good to go. I'm excited for this tournament. Again, I think DFS, there's a whole world of different edges you can kind of figure out yourself, but just know that there's a lot of first-time players out there or only major players out there. So I think you could certainly get different. Check the weather. As of now, it does look decently significant for Thursday afternoon um, wind. Um, but other than that, you know, this is Tuesday. So just know that. Do you want to let everyone know where they can find you? At Sticks Picks, S-T-I-X-P-I-C-K-S. And if Bryson's listening, I'm sorry. I'm sure you've had tons of checks, but that's just the vibe I get. So I don't know. I don't even know what that vibe means, but it just, just seems like a weird guy overall, but. So I think Bryson has a girlfriend right now. I mean, it oh. doesn't mean that they're having sex. Yeah, I mean, Tim Tebow claimed he would. I don't know. Also, one of the best bets I have now that we're on these weird markets, um, I bet at Buddy, uh, I think he gave me 40 to 1 or 400, 400 to 1. Um, Tim Tebow needs to win the Republican primary by 2040. But first, he's going to be the governor of Florida. I think that's a lock. So I, I don't like Tim Tebow. I just think the guy can't get away from the camera. And the people of Florida obviously love that guy. So I don't know. We've seen crazier things happen in politics. So that was a, one of my favorite bets that I've ever had of true de degeneracy outside of throw, trying to throw 100 bucks uh, away on Shank and winning this event. So I don't know. I'm not getting political by any means. I'm just saying it was a funny bet that, you know, Tim Tebow, we'll see what happens. Well, see, like those books that are out there where they let you request your own bet. See if you can get that bet requested. Send them. I, I want to know the price. I got a handicapped at less than 400 to one that my buddy gave me. So good value. I, I'm just a value whore. <laughs> Send the books to our show. They'll at least have somewhere to uh, put that number if they're having problems finding it. But thank you so much for everyone that continues to give this show support by either listening or interacting with us online. If you want a few extra plays that we didn't mention on this show, or maybe we did now at this point, I was, I was yeah, got off the rails. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Anymore. <laughs> you can find us on the action network podcast that we did for best bets at the U S open. As Nick said, you can find him on Twitter at sticks picks. I can be located at TL sports. Two of us are together at better golf pod. We wish everyone out there. Good luck for this week's U S open and feel free to reach out to either of us online. If you have any questions, uh, good luck once again, you guys, and we will see you guys back here a week from now.